welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Together, we'll play in the customer experience sandpit, leaving no stone unturned as we address today's burning marketing issues. CMOs need to be more versatile than ever before as they abandon stale thinking, integrate data insights and technology, create seamless brand experiences, and maintain customer-centric human connections to serve and simplify their customers' lives. From the Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Future Fit Tribe, this is Carmen Murray, and welcome to yet another fun, exciting interview. So I have to tell you the story. We are obviously experiencing lockdown. We're looking for inspiration, and I am particularly obsessed with storytelling, and especially for us as Africans, African proverbs and the way we tell stories. And I find that brands and, and being a marketer and being out there watching brands doing their thing and still continuing with their old ways, not telling authentic stories, but rather just trying to copy and being blindsided by their competitors. I've really tried to get my mind around what storytelling really should be. And I came across this magical guy. His name is Arno Colliery. Now, he's one of the world's top TEDx talkers. He's at TED Talks all over the world. But he's got a CV like an encyclopedia. I'm going to try and see if I can get through it. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, he's a French actor, he's a comedian, filmmaker, but most importantly, he is one of the world's best storytellers, chief happiness officer, and an emotional DJ. I have to talk to you about that. And um, how we managed to pin you down to be here and you and me actually having this interview is surreal. So I just want to say, Hi, Arno. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Fabulous. I think without even trying to beat around the bush, let's just get to it. What is your story? Born in France, got bored here right from the beginning for many personal <laughs> reasons. As soon as I could get away when I was 16, I left the U.S. for a year. I was a high school exchange student in Georgia. Of all places, very, uh, you know, coming from Paris to the middle of a very small town in Georgia, a very, very different outlook on the world, on outlife. Then 18 months later, I'm my, I found myself in Japan, living with a host family there. And then I spent basically 15 years going back between US and Japan in, you name it. I graduated first in finance, and then I went to luxury, working for Cartier in Japan, Worked for a couple of politicians in France. Went back to communication and finance in France as a as a director of a, of a firm in communication. Then I quit everything, went to Hollywood, became a comedian, and it was the only French guy doing comedy. I guess this <laughs> in is funny, right? Because just nobody expects us. You know, they expect us to be good with wine and 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 I don't know seduction or you name it, but not necessarily with joke. And and I had a good time, made movie, was tough at some point. I lost all my money because a movie could not get off the ground. Then I decided to start from scratch again, learn about mindfulness, motivation, inspiration, got into tech, went to South, South Africa, your country, for just a few months in Cape Town. I was, a, I was a hire as an entrepreneur in residence for a tech incubator. I spent two, three years in tech. And then, uh, and then six years ago, I decided to uh, focus just on this. 
on storytelling and coaching and uh, inspiring the world. So it's been the last six years. Uh, I went to 30 different countries, a bunch of keynotes, but a lot of coaching on either happiness at work for huge conservative family uh, families. It sounds like they were family, but because I, I would work with 30 people at a time, so a small tribe, a small family, but huge corporation. So half of my time has been divided on working on what is happiness at work and joy and purpose at work, using everything I've done, like comedy, entertainment, deep-rooted question that I had seen in, you know, with tribes, in uh, Maasai tribes, actually, in Kenya, that I had seen in South America, where I spent some time with tribes as well, and then doing storytelling like six years as well. So that's been my main focus, passion, find those stories around the world that basically uh, get me going, get me moving, get me excited. Maybe I get bored of myself. Maybe that's what it was, you know. I, I start to just, okay, my story is just too complicated. I just don't even want to go there. Oh my God, please just get me out of this body of my mind. You know, get me focused on someone else. I think, I think this is what it is. It's a relief. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't know you yet, but maybe it's the, it's what it is, right? You know, it just, oh my God, let me fully merge myself into someone else I just met. And I love this story, just like you're doing with me right now, and see if I can coach him, coach her on how to be a bit more maybe emotional or purposeful around his or her story. And this is how I built this event called Stand Up for Passion. And we did 25 public events uh, around seven stories, seven minutes each around the world. The fact that what I love about you, one of my friends, um, he's one of South Africa's former top comedians. We actually have another show together called The Outsiders. He is also a comedian. And I am fascinated by people that have been in comedy or do comedy because you need to be highly intelligent to, to absorb information and to process it, dissect it, observe human behavior, and then try and find the real story in that human behavior that people can relate to. So it's almost works in your favor. Yeah, I don't know if it's the term because, you know, since I've been doing coaching, I, I actually thought of myself as a highly intelligent guy. That was until I started coaching other people six years ago. And then I'm like, oh, my God. And then I found some just <laughs> people super bright. And actually, the more I'm coaching others, the more I'm like, I'm like oh, my God, am I smart at all? What I notice, what I observe is for sure, in order to be a comedian, you need to be sort of deeply affected by life. You just need to feel it, like in your veins, in your in your body, whatever is it that is happening. You just, you first, you're very sensitive, and two, you have this, I don't know how you call it, this gift or this desire. You just need to express it. Many people are sensitive in the world. Some become painters, some become writers, some just stay home and cry, right? But some people decide to go out there and, and do something. And, and this is sometime when I, when I used to just do comedy, when it used to be just my life, I, I always thought we were between, you know, a politician and a journalist. Like we observe things happening in the, to ourselves of the world and we just need to get it out there. This is, this is you know, as you know, it's very therapeutic, right? Therapeutic. And that for sure, that helped me so much to help people tell their stories around the world, right? Because I have been there, right? And and I still do a lot of stage, but now it's mostly, you know, keynotes around the world. So I do keynotes and I use my comedy background, of course. But the goal now is just more really purpose, right? I just want to make sure I touch, just inspire people to change. I'm just, 
I'm just obsessed that, you know, if I can touch a nerve, right? A friend of mine defined coaching as acupuncture, right? We're just here to just a very small, tiny bit of, and then we move into another direction. Wow. That's quite an interesting way of explaining it. You you spoke about in one of your keynotes that went viral um, around the world. I think it was share your story before you die. And you said something that hooked me immediately is that people would remember a story 22 times more than they would remember a fact. Talk to me about the science behind this theory. What was the source? I forgot it was Gallup or McKinsey. I think it was Gallup. I think it was Gallup, and, and, and it's fascinating fact, you know, that so many of us still think they're going to come and they have to sound smart and just give us content when the truth is just stories. And why stories touch us more than anything? It's because it's ingrained in us, right? It's because before we have TV and internet and the phones, at the beginning of time, all we got was a fire and a mouth to share stories. So it's in our DNA, right? We, we are used to learn through story. This is what we've heard from, from generation. So it's sort of a immediately click in your brain, right? I'm not sure how I can describe more scientific than, than this, but as soon as you hear a story, immediately you register because this is the way we've been taught. We've learned anything we needed to learn for life. So, and some of us for the last 50 years, also are able to learn through just facts and figure. But this is not my case. And this is certainly not the case of most of us. Most of us is just stories like we used to hear around the fire. So we go somewhere. I mean, this is why, you know, I have a two-year-old kids now. And every night, he wants stories after stories, right? Yesterday, 12 stories. <laughs> 12 stories. Again. And I'm like, no, again, it's 10, 30 now. You're two years old. You're two years old. <laughs> encore, Papa, encore. And every time I tell me, okay, so what do you want in your story? So I give him, you know, you, what do you want? You want a plan, lion? So he's the one choosing which element. And this is how he learn. And then next morning he's able to, and I know we're pushing his creativity up to the roof. <laughs> and, and my goal is that he become a storyteller when he's like, you know, seven, eight years old because of his brain, but also because we'll, will give us this muscle of, of learning through storytelling. And, and of course, the second reason is emotion. We need to be touched by emotion. And this is why you saw the, the term emotional DJ, because what I do when I produce those events on storytelling is just like a DJ is able to, to know which record he can put after which record, he just know the, the rhythm will go to the next one. And that's what I do when I have six, seven storytellers in front of me. I know in which sort of emotion rhythm I can put you in some sort of a trance. And I'm like, okay, I'll put you in those sort of emotion. Then I need to, you know, this man, this woman, this sort of story just after I can. So I, for me, it's just an emotional thing. I mean, we know everything is about emotion, but but story, it touched the emotional nerve as a, and as soon as you're on, on a certain track, certain wave, Okay, then we can add you stuff. Add you stuff. Mm -hmm. This is actually, I was reading the other day, we, we should teach our kids just this way. I can't believe we're still teaching our kids in terms of uh, literature and mathematics and science when we should teach them in storytelling first, in emotion, in psychology, and then mathematics first, right? Oh, so uh, I agree. So agree with you. Recently, we interviewed Faith Popcorn and she said something so profound. And she said, every 
company in this world needs a child on the board because they are so authentic. They, their minds are still open, eager to learn, and they tell the truth. I think under two, two years old, a child can't lie. They give you the honest answers. And I think we, it's just this prejudice as we grow older, we need to be politically correct to fit in this box that society tells us how we need to be. And um, this is actually one of the topics that I wanted to talk to you about is this, this mind boggle that I'm having at the moment with organizations and businesses is that we are in Corona, COVID-19, where we have to sanitize our hands and we have to have masks on and we have to protect ourselves um, by all means. But I think for businesses and organizations, the biggest pitfall for them is over sanitization. Because for many years, what they've been doing is they created this CI, this glossary, what you're allowed to say and how you need to say it, that they try to tell stories in a sanitized way, not too energetic, not too emotional, not too this, not too that. And we're trying to connect to humans, but those same people dictating how the brand should be communicating with people when they're around a braai or a barbecue or around a fire, they do stories and they talk normally to each other. They don't talk to each other in a, in a little document that says this is how you have to speak to this person in front of you. Two things comes to mind. First is, I think it comes from this just, I don't know, marketing stupidity, which is we need to get as much people, larger kind of people to our one single product, which means to, to get as many people instead of maybe losing a little bit of people, but getting real evangelists to those people. And then you'll get much better in the end, right? And for me, yeah, we, call, we can talk about authentic uh, storytelling. We almost called our event, Stand Up For Passion, raw, raw storytelling. That's exactly what I love, right? And the more I speak, I want, and I'm trying to do that with myself, is I need to be as raw, as real as possible, as aligned. And even if people don't get me, fine. Those who will be left with me will be my client for long term, will be my friend for long term, will be my colleagues. And, and I think they just need to get, it's better not to have maybe the broader people little bit less clients, yet those clients will serve you in much more in the long term and they will be crazy about what you say because they get it. You're real, they're authentic, they, they feel you. I exactly work like this. I, I get switched off immediately if someone is not authentic, right? If something is a bit wrong, is a bit just, yeah. if it's not real uh, or raw. Yeah, and that's exactly what you're looking for. And, and I'm so glad that we're actually moving into this conversation. Now you're going to be my psychologist. <laughs> Lay down. <laughs> I'm a big extrovert and I love people. and I love being around people. And for me, having a screen interview is, is nice because it, it opens up the world to me. But at the same time, is there's nothing I love more than finding a person's story that's in front of me and I can read their body language and, and we, it's just taking the guards down and it's just having heart to heart about a topic or, or, or just really a real conversation. So lockdown, because I'm a very authentic person, I, I tell you how I feel. I don't hide and I say things how I feel, but now I'm feeling almost... I'm not me at the moment because I feel that a part of me has been removed. Can't do handshakes. I'm a hugger. Can't do this. Can't do that. And now I feel all of this has been taken away from me. And I feel they say that if you're too authentic, 
you're narcissistic. I'm still trying to figure that out. And then, so don't say too much because then, then it's bad. It's once again, that whole process of sanitization. But for me at this point in time is I used to pick up my phone and just live stream and just tell people what's going on in my day. I just did the most stupidest thing. I have to share this with you. And now I'm almost feeling like I shouldn't be doing this because I'm not my authentic self now because I'm not feeling okay. I'm feeling, I wouldn't say depressed, but I'm, I'm not feeling the happy me right now. Right, right. You know what I mean? Right, right. Gavin from Solid Gold Podcast Studios actually shared this with me where he was talking about the five stages of grief where people are going through it's um, denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and then acceptance of this new situation that we will face now and yeah. forever. Yeah. Faith Popcorn predicts we're going to have three pandemics in the next 10 years. So if this is our new reality, how do I maintain my authentic self so I can bring authentic stories? Are people going to be accepting my authentic story? Because I don't know, it's a conundrum for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, I'll be the first one to say, keep being authentic to yourself. Because again, once again, even if you lose some people, the one that's going to stay and connect is going to be so strong and so glued that they're going to be your people. So we, and of course, you know, as a, you know, I'm a sort of a, the more I think I'm doing work on myself, I'm, I, I'll say I'm a semi-extrovert. Uh, I think I'm 70%, 80% extrovert, 20% introvert. So I'm not a complete extrovert because I still need to go, especially when I create, I need to be totally alone. Yet, I, I'm like you, I need those people. I need that energy that I love. I would say keep being authentic. And even if it's just we have to... Re I mean, I do a lot of work on resilience. And that might help you right now. I'm producing video on resilience for a shipping uh, company. I've created an online class because my whole business of event is dead, of course. So I'm working now on an online platform to change the world. I'm, I'm teaching online as well. And uh, I'm following 15 people that are changing life now. So it's called reinvention and resilience. And that's what I've been telling those women, because they're all women right now. It's just <laughs> you get, I don't know why. You have to keep working on that raw self on that authentic self and again it's okay your friends or family just don't get you they will get you and two things for resilience one is to keep visualizing what is it that you want in the future when we go back to the new normal right so six months a year from now and you you have to have a very clear visualization right and it might take six months one year and you're fine you have this you feel good you can see yourself Maybe hugging again people because they will come back. And then what you have to do daily to go across this, to live with that obstacle, to accept what is happening now. Just like same thing. I mean, I, I, I'm doing a lot of webinar now when people ask me or a podcast just because I like it, right? I'm connecting to you now in South Africa. I just, I need it because I'm, I can't just, just stay home with wife and baby. I need that, <laughs> that connection to exterior, right? So, I, I, and I know it's part of me. It's part of who I am. I need to express myself just like you and to, to find that meeting of the mind. So one is, I think, working on resilience, which is that goal, end of the tunnel will be here. And then what can I do daily to accept and to thrive despite what is happening now? I encourage you to read about, he was a U.S. captain in Vietnam War called Stockdale. And he wrote a lot on resilience. He was tortured for eight years. And he kept saying, this is not the most optimistic guy and woman who are the most resilient, right? Or the most popular. Or the... 
It's the one who just have this vision when things will be better and then work daily, daily, daily on what is it they can accept from what's happening and how can they find joy in what's happening now? I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my answer. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Okay. There's a, a comedian here in South Africa. Um, he talks about the happiness economy. It's like find happiness where your feet are at, where you are in this moment. And um, I actually said to my husband, I said to him, listen, I need to get to a point where I need to become grounded again. I, I think like I used to do these morning routines, wake up in the morning, do my gratitudes, do my meditation, do all of those, those things that grounds me. But now this computer screen, you start off because you're being micromanaged by a, a system. You have to attend meetings all day long until eight o'clock at night. Then you have to do the work. It's like people just want to make sure that you're working. Yeah. By yeah. having all of these meetings. Yeah. And also, I own my own business. Yeah. So I work in digital. I feel that I need space from the screen. Yeah, of course. And that not being grounded, actually, when you are not able to set boundaries, you are not taking care of your own happiness. And I wanted yeah. to hear your views on yeah. how to protect your happiness. There's so much right now written on this and work and there's even an article, I think, recently just say, you know, how to set up boundary in, in this new world of Zoom and video conference. It's exactly, you need to have that time set up for just you, yourself, in the day, two, three times a day. You don't speak to nobody. There's no Zoom. And you say between whatever, 12 and 2 p.m., whatever time you're I'm not speaking. I'm not available, no matter what. And you set up, right? And you absolutely, you need to still going outside and do your whatever your, your sports, but you need to set up that routine. And I'm an artist at heart. I can't stand routines, right? Yet I understood because of my work as a coach and resilience, that's the only thing they're going to get you, right? You need some routine and routine of freedom, of boundaries, and people can't talk to you. And you tell them, well, if not, I'm not going to be efficient. So between 4 and 5 p.m. on Friday, with whatever time you want, I'm not talking to anyone else. And I think for me, so discipline, because you will not be happy, you will not be able to create, you will not find your new modus operandi, right? Because it all comes down to this, is on how to find that energy again. Uh, it's the same. I, I try not to organize more than two or three a day, Zoom or webinar or whatever. And the rest, you know, I need to keep time to writing, to, to talk to people. So for me, yeah, it's routines and sending up time in the day where you just, alone by yourself, because it's been shown that the time you spent doing video conference and Zoom, and it's actually much more tiring for you. You have no space because he asks for much more attention than when you meet someone, right? There's yeah. those old uh, non-verbal cue when you meet someone. They're not here, right? They're gone. So you just have to pay attention. It's really, really, really difficult for everyone right now on the planet. Everyone is exhausted. Everyone is burned out. After two, three months of doing just that, as long as we accept its boundaries and I can't speak and I'm not going to take off my phone after whatever, 7 p.m., not watch the news after 7 mm. p.m., we should be fine, right? 100%. Actually, um, recently I had to contribute to, to a chapter in a book. They asked, what is the lessons that you've learned during COVID-19? And one thing for me, I think the most important is gut vesting your intuition plays such an important role in your being. And when you're watching news all the time, you're exposing yourself to fake news. When you're not 
investing in your own energy and your own being, what really happens is that your GPS coordinates are not positioned correctly. The decisions that you need to make in your life are skewed. If I can maybe put it in, in terms like that, if for somebody else, it might sound strange, but this is how I do believe gut vesting is something that we as human beings really need to start paying attention to. I was reading a, an article in the Harvard Bazaar a few months ago, actually long, it was maybe before 2020. They said that they believe we are moving into the age of sorcery. And I was like, really? Because we have mantras now. We have to read out mantras. We go and see life coaches. Where in the olden days, that was actually considered as witchery. Interesting. I was like, oh my gosh, like you would be burned at the stake if you had to do a mantra that says, abundance flows through me, abundance is all around me. Like if you had to do your affirmations, that would right. have been considered as witchery. Right. I found that quite profound because I have never, ever witnessed so many people seeing therapists, so many people having life coaches, business coaches, being coached. You, you can't not have it. Um, yeah. I, I think it's unhealthy not to have a yeah. different perspective. There's no reference point anymore, right? That's what the crisis is. You lose control of, of what you know, of your reference point. As a human being, you, you need some sort of stability, right? I, I used to think no, none of us need stability, right? Before I, I start coaching people, I say, you know, I was fine being this international guy and, you know, not a real place to stay, being here, being there. And I love that. But I, I used to have stability. They were just not the stability you could imagine, not, not the house and the village with my same group of friends. They were my stability was to find, I don't know, love in many places, was to, to do sports every day, right? To find time for myself to be a creative guy. I, I had my sort of same sort of things I was doing, right? So all of us, we need it. And right now, you can't do the same thing you were doing it. Your whole time management is screwed up. Your whole uh, uh, friendship with people is screwed up. Your business partnerships, some of, of them are falling down with this. No more reference point, right? So there's a crisis. When there is a crisis, we need to change. People don't want to change unless there is a necessity. And a crisis is a necessity. So right now, it's unless people change, reinvent themselves, create new reference points to be whatever, loving, creative, a businesswoman, a business guy, whatever it is. But you need to reinvent yourself. And for this, it's really difficult to do it yourself. So you do need outside perspective, feedback, intellectual ping pong. You know, and, and that's what it is. It's intellectual ping pong. Say, okay, why don't you why this? And, and this is what you Love need. It. You know, once a week, some fun time. Not necessarily with friends because friends, they know you forever. They have bias. They also, they have their own experiments. They also don't want you to take too much risk. This is what a friend does. It's, it's not, I've, I've written a, a book. Unfortunately, it's in French on reinvention. It's not yet translated. I have 36 chapter, right? It's on Amazon.fr. Yet I have two chapters I didn't write. One on family and one on friendship. And I said it. Why? Although I think family and friendship are the most important thing for your happiness. Are they are. Yet when you are in a crisis, when you're in reinvention, they're not the best advisor in general. In general, of course, we have, there's only 5 to 10% of family and friends that only want your best at any point of time when you're up and down. Only mm. 10%. Are loving family, completely loving. 
completely without any kind of a unlimited, unlimited confidence and love, right? So we need to find it somewhere else. So we, whether it's coaching or sorceries, as you call it, love it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I call, I call myself a, a corporate shaman. <laughs> when, when I go to companies, that's what I do. I'm a storyteller. I invite everyone to, to share their stories. That's why I, I, I bring the shaman. I mean, I spent three weeks in a tribe in a Ecuador in uh, Christmas 2013. And that's what I was saying every night, right? The shaman, the chief of the tribe, every night, we share a story together and we feel good by just... And But again, there was a reference point. So you need to have first someone who will help you, not necessarily a family, friend. And so, you know, he's a third third party. So he can be, just be a mentor. You don't have to pay him. He can be someone who's a mentor. But So he's not, he's not invested in you like him forever. He's invested in you to change. Mm, very big difference. Even as a coach, I know I've lost friends in my 20s because I was so raw and honest and, you know, I was coaching everyone without having the title. But now that I'm a coach, that's my work. Many of my work is, is doing coaching. I do a little bit less with friends because it's true, I don't want to lose them and they're not ready to hear. And at this point in my life, some of them, I don't want to lose them. I mean, I'm telling them, say, do you want advice? And if you don't want to, do you want my perspective? No? Okay, keep going. I, I really, I'm very, uh, sure. I value friendship so much, but I, I know there's boundaries. But if it's someone I'm paid to coach him, I'm going to say, just think about this. Think, I think uh, might be the wrong direction. Look at this too. You make your own decision, but look at this as well. Look at this. So it's a very interesting uh it makes sense, right? It's a new sorcery, as you say. I mean, even, you know, the big pharma, big, everyone is looking for new type to heal themselves, you know. We don't trust, yeah. Right? I mean, we, we saw what happened with the, the different medicine out there. So yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense we are in this age, and it's fine. It's cool. I actually had a discussion with a friend earlier on, and we were talking about my curiosity and trying to learn more and explore more. Because I feel somehow what we've been told is not my values. And what we've been explained is somebody else's values. Like when, you, when you're raised um, in, in a religion or in anything like that. And I have no problem with religion or anything like that. I just choose for myself. I'm, I'm now reaching that age where I question things. And I have a lot of questions. So I'm exploring. I'm more of a spiritual person than a religious person. I sage my house. I have palasantos. And I've got candles always burning because I, I love the energy from, coming from them. Those things are very important to me. Um, but at the same time, I feel that if I look at the Me Too movement and I look at all of these things, the women that have been written out of history, the stories of magnificent women that we would never know ever because they were burnt out of history because of a patriarch regime, makes me question the religions makes me question the systems in place. And I'm trying to go back on the journey of learning what happened in ancient times. I'm fascinated by things like the Renaissance era that's so relevant to what's happening right now. And maybe you would agree with me or, or not, but I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. The Black Death, yeah. one out of three people passed away. Yes, and then yeah. all these other people inherited the money. What did they do? Yeah. They were yeah. home. Drinking, what is it? What is it that you drink? Absence. 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 Magic potions. 
Yeah. <laughs> they were drinking absinthe, and what else were they doing? They were becoming creative. They created um, Leonardo da Vinci. We had Nostradamus. Yeah. We had all of these amazing people that created the modern world. And that was the reset button was the Black Death. And COVID-19 to me is the reset button of the new modern age that we are moving into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have so many things to say on this. Like so many artists, invaders were actually, when they were confined, when they, they actually expanded their mind. Uh, Isaac Newton, 1663, right? During the big confinement in London for two years, that's when he came up with the law of relativity. Frida, Frida, the, the, the Mexican painter, 18 years old, she's stuck at hospital, can't move. That's when she started painting, right? Van Gogh, when he was a psyche ward by his parents, actually. That's where he started thousands of paintings. I mean, and uh, Leonardo Vinci, my number one idol of all time, of course, the guy with no limits, right? Eclectic mind. Him. He said something, I was watching a quote of him, he said, all knowledge is connected, right? And that's where we come again, right? Uh, so you talk about the crisis and how the yeah unleash the creativity. That's for sure, right? We need that crisis because the crisis again you lose your reference point and you push your button and you just reset. Yeah, you forced to think out of the normal. Then what? And also there's many reasons because some of those who are going to be bored are going to be creative for the first time. We know you need some boredom to be creative, right? And that's why the kids at home, some parents, oh my god, it needs to be active. No, no. And I, and I try to remind that myself as a parent, he also need some time where I don't take care of him. I just don't play with him or his mom because I just want to play with him. But if I want him to develop his own mind, he needs to be by himself and say, oh, what am I going to do now? We saw that happening during the confinement. He's two years old. He could not go to school. And now he starts to play by himself for the very first time for hours telling stories. And, and his vocabulary is just up to the roof. Wow. He understand everything. All the dots are connected. My wife is American. He's speaking English and French. <laughs> oh my God. Just, yeah, crisis can be really good, right? I mean, as you said, the Renaissance area did this. So yeah, I'm not really worried about the, the creativity. The other day we were doing a Skype with a group of friends in, uh, in Tokyo. I spent four years in Japan. And they were, they invited this young woman. She used to be an artist. She's 23 only. And she's like, I really like with this crisis. So now I can finally put my creativity towards a creating program in AI and blockchain. She's like 23, right? Wow. And just a thanks to this crisis. <laughs> right? like, what is she talking about? Right. Some, so some of them are going to come up with amazing stuff, right? Wherever they are in the world. So I can't, I can't wait to see what's going to come up, but. For those whose heart is those who never reinvented themselves, no, you know, had a sort of a straight life, where, wherever they were on the social, uh, you know, social sphere, economic social sphere, wherever they were, they were poor or rich, but sort of a, the same life. Mm. For them, it's really, really hard, of course, because what are they going to do now? I mean, they, a friend of mine, she has an event company, very successful, but she's only doing events for 30 years. And she said, oh, no, I, I don't know what else to do. I've never reinvented myself. It worked from the beginning. I was 25. And I don't know what else to do with events. I have to wait two years, one year, until, <laughs> until event comes back. And say, no, we can, you can do other stuff. But I don't know. And, and But she doesn't want to. She, she thinks she doesn't want. Like, unless there's going to be a breakthrough, it's time to change. Time to change. Change is the best thing. That's where you, you know, that's why actually sometimes I'm always welcoming a new change. Because I know I'm going to discover something new. 
about a new story going to emerge, right? Um, something that comes to mind that you're going to laugh now. The other podcast that I have with John Flismus, he's all about breaking patterns. So <laughs> when we identify a pattern, we have to break it, especially because in this country with the apartheid regime and the way that things were in the past, yeah. uh, there's a lot of things that have been indoctrinated into people's way of thinking, various traditions and all of that. Yeah. And it's just cracking up, open that yeah. humanity. I like yeah. to always put it like this. Think of an egg. If you crack the egg from the outside, it means death. But if you crack it from the inside, it means life. Oh, wow. I love it. So if you are able to break patterns from, the, from your inside and not allow the pattern from the outside breaking you, you actually are going to be okay. And getting into that habit is uncomfortable, but it's good. So we started this thing called Disruption Diaries. So we give each other a challenge. He gave me a challenge to become a vegan for a week. And um, I'm an Afrikaans, Buddha Macy. I love my, my meats and, and all of that. Love my animals. I have dogs and I have pets, but I do like to, to have bultong and all of that stuff, which you're probably familiar with. I love that. I love that. <laughs> he said to me, I have to go vegan because he's vegan. Went vegan for seven days and we had to film the responses that were happening and the patterns. What I realized in the first two days, for example, was I almost sleepwalk in the morning to go and find my cup of coffee. So I go and I'm like, I'm walking and I open the fridge. And for two days, I was having milk in my coffee without knowing I was doing it. I was on autopilot. And my friend said to me, Carmen, you're not supposed to have milk. And in that moment, I was conscious. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something wrong here. But instead of punishing myself and saying, I need to start this whole thing all over again, I was just like, okay, I identified the problem. Now I need to just be more conscious and continue breaking the pattern. So when I see the problem, point it out and go and continue. With him, it was a digital challenge. And it's like a mini documentary of us bantering amongst each other and encouraging each other to break a pattern. And I think those lessons couldn't have come at a more appropriate time because we started doing it before COVID-19 because I realized that the people that are going to thrive now are the people that are willing to break patterns that are willing to seek new answers, that are willing to, to make brave decisions and to break away from what other people have told them for many years is the right thing to do, living somebody else's dream, adopting other people's values. I mean, I feel like I'm talking too much, but I, that's how I, you inspire me so much, Lakti. Like, it's really so cool. $500 for the session. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I, I love this image. I'm going to keep your image. The eggs from the inside, you know, the, he's, he's the one breaking his own pattern as opposed to the outside breaking him. I, lo I love this image. It's exactly this. I mean, the, I mean, France, it's going to be very difficult. We are, you know, <laughs> you know, all society with people thinking the same over and over. It's going to be really difficult for some people when they, not now because we have social help, you know, it's just, social system so it's good for now yet in six months one year when some people are going to be bankrupt no matter what or fire because company have help right now to keep you know not firing people like us but in six months when the recession will really uh, hit france it's going to be really tough when the people don't reinvent don't want to break the old patterns it's going to be a uh, hecatomb i think it's only a french word hecatomb it's when everyone die 
I don't know if we say it in English. I don't think. I think it's just a French word. I don't know. <laughs> it's cemetery out there. It's going to be a horrible. Like a massacre. Like a, yeah, no. massacre. It's going to be a yeah. massacre. I don't know what's the percentage, but most don't want to break patterns. Uh, I love uh, this disruption pattern thing that you guys have going on. And I always thought of myself as an experimenter. And I think that's what it is. People have to experiment just mm. like you doing, right? With that digital experience one style and vegan experience. We have to find a way to just, what else we can, we can do. And it doesn't work, fine. Someone said once that the goal of life is just to close doors. Mm. It's not for me. Fine, I close it. I'm getting closer to where I am, where I'm supposed to see. Where is the light for me? But as long as you're not trying to open doors and experiment, you will not find the door with you, for you. And this ask for courage, for bravoure, you know, panache. This is what he asks, he requires of you. Let's just uh, find a way to inspire more panache. And, and, and I think that the key is people to understand that the more they, they dare to do something, they, they try, it's actually nice. It's actually not so bad. 85% of experience succeed in, in everything. Someone came up with this, you know, most people don't want to change. Like, oh, what if I fail? Yeah, but 85. So yeah, you have 15, 20% to fail. So what? So, so what, right? In everything, there is a statistic, there's a numbers. Even though I'm not a number, guys, yet I'm reading right now on venture capital because we need to raise money for our new project, right? The platform, education platform. And I was listening to a VC yesterday, Silicon Valley. And he said, anyone who invests in 40 startups as 99% of making tons of money. 40 startups, you will make money no matter what. But who has the courage to invest in 40 startups? He said, no matter what, no matter how much you put in each of those startups, but it's 40 startups that you know, right? That you've studied, you feel good. No one has the metrics. No one can guarantee success, but you like the team enough. You like the product. You like the team enough. You like the product. 40 projects, you will make money. It's, it's, so it's, it's just a numbers game. Same thing when you reinvent yourself. It's a number. At some point, it's going to hit. You're going to like it. You're going to feel happy. You might not make the money you want, but you, you're going to be where you need to be. You're going to be aligned. And mm. it's just a matter of trying. And if people knew that, understood the science, and I think it's something else we ought to teach as young as possible. It's okay to fail. It's okay to try. It's okay to so experiment. True. Curiosity, as you said. I was realizing actually right now during the confinement, I was actually, again, like thinking of my own life and I'm like, my God, what, what was the differentiator between what I've done and everyone else? And I came up to the conclusion that really, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's certain I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I mean, so many things show me that, oh my God, I'm not so smart. Yet I had two things going on for me. It's just, I'm super curious and I dare and I don't care. I dare, I dare, I go and I go and I try and, and I'm not scared of shit really. I'm scared, but I'm not scared. Like I've, I've really, you know, someone said once it's courageous. It's not about not being scared. It's about being scared and still going on. Despite of being scared, you still go after what you want. And I have no prime between, you know, and that's actually, that's the only thing I miss sometimes to, to try to just, Oh, what if I try a new life tomorrow? I go to Vietnam. You know, I can't do that now. I have a family, I have a business, but I would like to just start from scratch again, see what's happening. Cause I have no fear of failing. Mm. You know, I know, I know something I will come out all right. 
and he has nothing to do with intelligence. He has to come with just your belief. You believe something will happen. Either you believe in yourself or the world or both of it. Some people have more belief in the universe or the world. Some people have more belief in yourself. And some have both beliefs in themselves and the world. And then it's the jackpot. I totally agree with you. You know, one of the, the things that I feel, especially with businesses in the corporate world, I feel that they don't allow curiosity. They don't teach curiosity. And I think it's even from, from childhood, like when a child, as you said earlier on, when a child wants to experiment, if they grab a fork and they want to see if it pokes or what, what it can do, we go, no, 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 no. We slap them over the wrist. Don't do that. That's dangerous. That don't, but they experimenting and we, sh we make the cognitive behavior is, or the, the connotation with that is experimentation is not a good thing. Taking risks is not a good thing. You know, that knowing is doing thing is so important. I, I heard about, I think it's Mel Robbins. I can't remember who said this. Oh, the lady that started Spanx. Yeah, I saw, I saw a video actually last week on a, on a masterclass.com. I haven't watched that one from her, the masterclass.com. I'm not going to watch it. She's so cool, but I'm yeah, so yeah, glad we, also, we both watch it. But she, she said this thing about her dad that always at the dinner table said, what did you fail at today? You didn't want to know how, how well was your day. What did I you fail at oh today? And it's like, out of that failure, what did you learn? Love it. I can't remember who told me this, but there's families that, that have brainstorming strategy sessions about what is this year going to be for you and what are you aiming towards towards the end of the year? Let's brainstorm as a family where we want to see for the end of this year and oh how we're all going to walk towards this. It starts at home. Everything starts at home. I, I do sometimes feel for corporates because you bring in so much different diversity and different personalities and different backgrounds and, and people that are broken from the way that they've been raised. And it's almost like the corporate's responsibility to nurture this. And the only way that they have known to nurture it is by setting all these rules and not having empathy because giving too much empathy, they're opening up a door of something that they don't know how to handle. So there's a two-way street there. And there's some accountability that we need to take for ourselves as human beings. And then there's the, the culture part, the toxic part, and, and, and that kind of thing that needs to be handled in, in, in corporate organizations. I don't even know if I make sense. But um, it starts from how you were raised and the patterns and the routines. I know you don't like routines, but there's certain things that I think is important oh, yeah. to do. Very important. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people don't dream enough and, and work towards dreams. It's the same thing. When I see someone of potential who's not using it, it's like, oh my God. We'll get... I mean, some people say it's Confucius who said it. I don't know who said it, but your, your second life starts when you understood you just have one life. The day you're conscious, you just, Oh my God, your time on earth is counted. Just leave it now. Just try. I'm the same thing. I don't get it. Why would people use the potential? It just makes me cringe. The same thing. It's just, uh, in French, we say ça me gratte. Oh, I love that. Ça me gratte. Ça me gratte. <laughs> <laughs> ça me gratte tellement. Ça me gratte. Oh, it sounds more German than, than French, but anyway. <laughs> but listen, here's a cool quote for you. Diesel, they had a, many years, they had a campaign called Be Stupid, right? And the quote that they had was, smart has the plans, stupid has the stories. 
Oh my God, I love it too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah it's exactly. This. And you were talking about vulnerability. I'm sure you've, yeah, of course, you know the Benny Brown stories yeah. of the world. And we, same now, wherever I meet in the world, if they don't show me their scars, right, their emotional scars, I'm not interested in that person. I don't even want to do business with that person. It's like, come on, I don't give a shit how much success you had. Just tell me where you fell as well. Like, you know, where it didn't work out totally. You're not a genius. No one is a genius. No one is perfect at something. But for so many cultures, you know, I mean, I, you know, I spent a few months in South Africa, so I know a little bit, but I don't know as, of course, as France, right? Which is a really old culture where you don't show, right? You don't, you have to keep up a sort of prestige, right? No matter where you are on the social economic ladder, you have to, you know, you, you can't let people see your weaknesses and it, it will be too much for people. Because maybe our history was too long. I don't know why. When it's the complete opposite, you have to you have to show to people what is it that you don't know how to do so you can get better and be in movement. You know, I've done a lot of work on happiness as a chief happiness officer, right, at company. And I think for me, happiness is defined by just being in movement, being real, real with your emotions and looking for that energy, for that for that vitality. You know, you touched on something. Um, I actually had a debate um, with a friend recently about this. So Brene Brown says in, in one of her books, she talks about vulnerability, right, and, and authenticity. So, so many times we sacrifice our authenticity for safety, and this causes addiction, anxiety, depression, blah, 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 blah. And this is where this whole authentic thing started, like, exploding in my mind. Because I work in marketing, right? But I have dyslexia. So I'm in the communications game, but I have dyslexia. But I don't want that to define who I am because I'm very good at what I do. But I almost feel going out there and making this big story about I'm dyslexic makes me feel that people are not going to trust me to do the job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would say the same thing I said at the beginning. Yes, if you tell that story even more and more and more, which obviously you're already doing, you will lose some people. And the truth is, like every reinvention, because it will be a reinvention, right? It's to be more vulnerable about yourself, letting people approach you better, understand you better, and so showing your weakness. So when you do that, like any reinvention, short-term, Yes, short term being like in a few weeks, two months time, you lose people. You, you lose people. You, some people say, oh, oh my God, she's not, she, how can she do that? She's communication. She's dyslexic. I just, because they're not used to be real. They're not used to be raw. Yet again, those that will stay are going to be more strong, stronger, love you even more. They're going to say, oh my God, I love it. Let's do even more business. You're so real. And you're going to get a new kind of people, a new mm. kind of client. I mean, I've seen it over and over every time I change careers and countries and stuff. But, you know, I mean, I start when I was a finance guy and then I was a tech guy and I was a, a communication luxury as a humanitarian, as a comedian, filmmaker, and then a coach, storyteller, whatever, event guy. And every time, every time I change, I, I, I sort of attract people or... And they get going and they start the new life, new career, but then they, they're not going to change with me, right? To the next one. So for those, it's like, oh my, they don't get it because I sort of personify what it was to be an event guy or actor or whatever it was at the time. 
So I inspire them to change. They change. And then when I leave the field, they like they, they don't like it because the whole world was, they changed their life to be a little bit more like me, follow me, be inspired. And then like, oh my God, but this guy was, this is changing. For the last six years, I was just doing, you know, happiness at work and then storytelling for people. But now I'm going to build this platform. I'm going to be a, you know, becoming a, a tech startup guy. There you go. There uh-huh. you go, right? And I know, I, I, I know I can already feel some people when it's going to be, you know, I'm starting to talk about it now. I, I, I don't talk officially yet for many people that know me a lot, but I put myself in June 1st. I'm going to tell it out, right? And I like to plan a date for me where I'm, okay, I'm changing. It's my new life. And I'm going to lose some people. They're going to like, but what, what is it? No, this is... <laughs> because, again, you become the reference point for those people in this. But then, uh. oh, my God, so, oh, my God, maybe it's not so good in this field if it's changing. No, it's just my energy in this field is, do- is gone, is done. And, I'm, but I, and I know you're losing some of your fans, how you call it, or the people that follow you, or your, your community, your group of people. And then you're going to get a new group of people soon. It's going to take maybe six months, one year. Do you have the guts that it takes to lose people in the short term, right? When you reinvent yourself. I worked once with uh, two groups of women in New York City that used to, to be a fans of my event, Stand Up for Passion, where again, what we put on stage where people reinvented themselves. And, uh, and they saw me as this guy who's traveling the world doing you know, living my passion, talking about people's passion and like, oh, we want to be like you. Can you, can you teach a workshop on how to live from your passion and how to live with passion and how to live from your passion? And mm. I was like, I'm, I'm not sure. And then I gave in. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll teach. So I create two workshops, 12 women each workshop. Yet they were all a very successful corporate woman, all of them super successful, making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And, but when they understood, they say, okay, by the end of the day, I get your passion. I think you might want to go in this, but say, but for the, you know, next one year, two years, you most likely you're going to make less money, but then it's going to be okay. It's going to be good again. And you're going to live the life you want to dream. I don't want to change my lifestyle for one year, two years. I'm like, okay, fine. Choose your priorities. But if your priority, <laughs> right, is reinvention, it is reinvention. Then the rest is secondary. Right to to have as much money or to have your social network and your image, right? I, I remember the first time I changed career. I was 24 years old and I was working for Cartier in Japan, big brand, like Cartier, the jewel. I had a huge apartment. I was in the expat scene, and you know I was invited everywhere. And after six months, I'm like, it's not me. I was making mm-hmm. great salary, and and I remember the first time I said that in a party of lots of expat, French expat, top jobs. And they're like, well, why? It's the best job. And everyone say, they were flabbergasted, was the word, right? Yeah, yeah, word? yeah, yeah. Flabbergasted. And they could not understand. They're like, I had to justify myself the whole evening. But why? What would you change? You're going to give up a, a nice salary? Where are you going to live? I say, I don't know. I have no idea when I'm going to make money. I have no idea how I'm going to make a living. You're like a gypsy. Could not understand, right? Love it. Some people I lost. Those I kept. Those who understand me. Actually, some of them became my first clients 20 years later. Some some of my Cartier colleagues were kept because every experience, what you need to do is for sure is 
you need to to explain your change to the people that matters the most. The rest mm. you don't care. You don't care. But those that you feel matters the most could be your friends, your colleagues, your clients. The, those you really respect, these you need to explain the change. The other one, just say you change. You don't need to, to say why. I love it. That's been my experience. And the point is you need to understand your change and why you're going for change. There's nothing better than that. And you'll make better stories, right? I mean, that's going back to point one, storytelling. You want to be able you know, to tell stories if it's uh, war stories. Otherwise, it's boring. Your life is boring, right? It's just... Absolutely. I don't know. I feel like I've made a friend in you from the other side of the world. And it was Thank so you. lovely chatting to you. But our time is up. You've inspired me in so many ways. And I can't wait to listen back to this and share this with the audiences. But I, I want to close off with a story for you in the light of, of our situation that we can learn from ants. During uh, red ants have learned over the years how to overcome a challenge so they can't swim but when there's a flood they have learned to create a raft on the water by collaborating and holding on to each other and creating air pockets and these air pockets create this raft but it's a constant moving ecosystem and this raft can live on top of the water that floats on top of the water for probably six to eight months now ants the normal ants have a lifetime of 60 days the queen 10 years so they have learned behavior from disasters and to overcome them by how to survive during a flood and what they do is they place the normal ants, the male army ants at the bottom of the raft, the female ants at the top that creates the future generation with the queen ant, and the female ants are teaching the future generation ants how to keep the raft going. And then they do, as they, they get taught how to migrate, then they get dispatched into the rest of the ecosystem so as the other ants are dying, the new younger generation comes in to keep the ecosystem alive. That just teaches me bravery, agility, being able to learn from circumstances. And COVID-19 has been that for us. And we have to create a whole new ecosystem, adapt to change, whether we liked or not, just survive. And our survival is by collaborating and telling our stories teaching people what we've learned. And this is the way that we can progress forward as humanity. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) um, I love the story of the ants. Oh my God. I I have to make sure to write it down as soon as we finish this and what you told me. Oh my God, the the, the story of the... the, the, Yeah, but especially the parents. The The egg and then the parents, you know, uh, what have you felt at? Oh my God, I love those three stories. <laughs> I'm so glad I could inspire you. <laughs> oh, you you've, you've inspired me. Thank you. You've inspired me too. So I just want to say thank you so much. It was awesome. Bye, Arno. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. 
to connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Booyah Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.